0: hey welcome to the trading success podcast if you're loving the podcast would love to help you start scale or automate your tradie business we help everyone from startup all the way up to one million dollar plus months and would love to be able to help you too so click the link in the show notes if you're interested in getting some support and joining an epic community of legends in the academy. We'd also appreciate if you're loving the podcast to leave a review. It helps us reach more people and help more tradies like you run successful businesses. All right, let's get into it. Hey everyone, we're here with Ben Sorensen, the witty, eccentric brain for hire. Is comedian and self-employed and loves doing what he does. So, Ben, I'd love for you to introduce yourself to everyone listening right now.
1: Well, look, I do a fair whack of different things. And part of that is to keep my brain occupied and engaged. So, there's the comedy and the uh, the writing and the performance side of my world where I go and host events and uh, I'm a, you know, Instagram influencer, as I call them. Uh, <laughs> And um, then there's the business side as well that I'm uh, really, really passionate about and involved in as well, which is all about uh, marketing and strategy and um, that side of things. And I find that the the two marry together really nicely and they keep me occupied
0: and on my toes. Yeah. I can't wait to explore all of that. That's really cool. So what are you working on right now? What's the thing that's uh, keeping you occupied right now? So there's, um, that's a great question. There's actually a couple of things uh, that
1: I've got on my uh, work in progress list that I have. Uh, We're doing a uh, a hosting and putting together a virtual award ceremony for uh, an organization. They've been hit hard by COVID and obviously can't do uh, large events. So we're opting to do a uh, online version, which is really exciting. So lots of production in that, lots of filming in that. Uh, We're also, uh, or I'm also doing a lot of uh, virtual events still as corporates took a little bit of time to wake up to uh, doing them and that they were actually good. So we're doing, uh, (laughs) we've got some corporate trivia games, uh, some uh, corporate uh, facilitation stuff that I do, and obviously my uh, keynotes that I do on uh, autism inclusion marketing and uh, business strategy and this brave new world so all, all of that's happening at the moment and still trying to work out uh the travel plans and how how we can travel um there's a lot of events that i've got in uh sort of december and january and we're still sort of going or oh, do we book that in or do we not or do i just sit at home on the couch like i have for two years eating chips you know
0: <laughs> yeah it's something easy to fall back to eh? like if if the society says you've got to stop doing what you're doing or you've got to work from home and then you're used to doing nothing from home, you know, it's, it's a battle that you've got to overcome. Oh look totally. And you know what? The government may not always be there for you. You know, your partner or
1: friends may not always be there for you, but you know what is always there for you? Chippies and Netflix.
0: (laughs) Totally man. I've got sucked Um, into so many series. Uh, Especially uh, recently, Squid Game that got me a couple of days. Do you know what? Smash I, that haven't, out. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't watched Squid Game yet. I'm the only
1: person in Australia that hasn't. Uh, part of me thinks from uh, from the little bits I've seen,
0: I think it may be too close to reality at the moment. Yeah, a bit bit like that. I think um, that's why it's so. It's like, oh my god, this could be real. That's why it's so so hooky for yeah. people. Yeah. Well, b- very much so. Very much so. And I think you know, being self employed
1: or running your own business. Uh, as you would know, uh, during lockdown can be really hard, because normally you really struggle with that work-life balance because everything's you. Mm. So being in lockdown, you go, "Well, I can't go anywhere else. All I've got is basically the uh, the office or the studio, and you know then my life. So it all kind of blurs together. So, as we start to open up, uh, you know, obviously there's a little bit of anxiety there and moving out into the world and going, well, what can we do? What mm-hmm. can't we do? And sustainably, what can we do and what can't we do? You know, I notice with audiences for live events, uh, every previous lockdown, um, they're starting to get tired like an hour into the show and you go, ooh, okay. And I, I thought it was me to start with, but it turns out it's uh, that's just fatigue because we haven't been outside It's sensory overload.
0: Wow, yeah. So what's some strategies that you've implemented to help that reintegration back into normal societal life, I guess? Well, look, I think
1: part of it is being okay to say no to events because we have this uh, idea that because we've been in lockdown so long that, you know, floodgates are open, let's, you know, make up for lost time when really that can uh, lead us down the path of burnout really, really quickly. And, you know, lockdown's been really hard. And I think the idea of slowly reintegrating yourself into society is a a great idea. Like for me, uh, I've started doing one-on-one catch-ups and, you know, keeping it nice and simple, doing, you know, one activity a day um, and sort of seeing how I go with that, making sure I sleep well, focusing on eating, some exercise uh, and all of those standard self-soothing things. That we needed to rely on during lockdown
0: mm.
1: uh, we're still using them and getting yourself up to speed i remember in 2018 19 i was doing back-to-back gigs six days a week uh and then going out and doing heaps of other things there's no way i could do that now yeah um but then that also um makes us think about you know was that actually sustainable then Or were we just chasing our own tail, you know? So what is meaningful in our world? What interactions in our world are meaningful? And I think what COVID taught us was that a lot of the stuff we were doing was just noise that detracts from
0: who we are or what we want to do. Oh man. So right. And um, it's interesting when you have this, these events that come up throughout your life, whether that's. You know, government impeded. If it's uh, your relationships break down, if it's you lose a massive client, these big events, you're like, oh my god, this can't, this is going to be devastating for my life. But they actually teach you so much about yourself and how you can adapt to a situation as well.
1: Yeah, I think the it's really hard to get over the negative internal dialogue, generally speaking. And then when a major event happens, or an event and our brain goes that's a major event it's really hard to sort of get back on track and it's really hard to sort of go um, how can I see this as a positive so losing a client was a wonderful example you know we're not meant to uh, have everybody in the world as a client yeah and that's a really really big thing Um, and a lot of us are taught growing up in business that um, everyone is a potential client. No, they're not. No. I think the evolution of that concept is we have to find a mutual match. yeah, so for me i'm real I'm really open about it. So not everybody likes dealing with me. Not everybody likes what I do. And that's okay. All I need is enough people that I trust, that I'm comfortable with, that I enjoy working with, that have similar values for me to do really well. yeah, and out of the 8 billion people on the, you know, in the world, um, you know, I don't need that many people as a percentage to do really well. So I like being invested in my client's outcome as well. So that we're both on the journey together. Yeah, I'm getting paid, but we're both on the journey together. And I think that makes it easier when you lose a client, for example, because you can go... um, Yes, I lost the client and whatever the dollar value of that client is, is how much that valuable lifelong lesson costs you. And I reckon that's a great investment.
0: Yeah, totally. I find it fascinating because we work with thousands of tradies and um, leaders in different industries and how so many people work with a client that's causing 80% of their problems, you know, the 80-20 rule. You know, totally. And they just don't get along with this person and they cause all of their headaches. And we work with people to say, well, let's get rid of that 20% of your clients that are yep. causing 80% of your problems. And you're left with all of this freedom and, and great feelings because you're not dealing with that anymore.
1: Totally. And part of it is that mental load as well. If you see your phone ring and it is that client and you go, I don't want to answer this, <laughs> yeah. then you yeah. know that that's something that you need to refer on to someone else and that's also where referrals come in really handy so yeah. if you as a tradie for example know the type of client that you like to work with find find another tradie out there that does the same thing as you that enjoys a different type of client so then you guys can both refer to, uh, to each other because uh one one nightmare client for you might be a dream for someone else yeah and you know if you can not only help someone else's business grow which is awesome but uh reduce the mental load for you then that's a win-win
0: yeah and that's what we say as well with a lot of our referral programs in our academy it's don't just find one referral partner per trade find multiple because there's different personalities for different clients and you want to pair the right one with the right person so that they uh you have reciprocation back to you you know they thankful that you gave them the person that's suited for them rather than giving them a tradie that causes 80% of the problems for the client. And then you probably lose that client oh, as well. Yeah.
1: But yeah, totally. And, that, and that's the thing. When people have a bad experience, it's not necessarily a logical bad experience. Sometimes it's just they don't like dealing with you and their interpretation of that is you're a shit tradie. Yeah, exactly. Or a shit person. And <laughs> a shit person. It's got yeah. nothing to do with the quality of your work. Yeah. but you guys just don't get along or you've got different values or a communication glitch. Mm-hmm. And by fixing all of that or identifying that early, then you can still maintain that image of being a really competent, really great trader and uh, also uh, refer on to a specialist that you think might suit that client better. So, you know, it's great for everyone.
0: Yeah. Now, speaking around marketing, because you love it as well, and I'm, I'm passionate around marketing. Um, with the you know outreach to new clients as well the same sort of principle applies when people are calling up and then some someone says i've already got a tradie you know or i've already got a cl- client like you then people go oh that means they don't like me you know <laughs> a lot of people fall into yep. that trap and then it affects their confidence and they stop doing you know outreach to new clients But you need that yep. outreach to grow and um and do a lot of work expect- around that
1: Oh, totally, and a lot of consistent work, and I think that's where systemizing is a really good idea. Because if you just go, "Oh, I'll just call," oh, I had two no's, so I'm not going to do any more. I think that's that's bad. Yeah, um, that's not going to work. So, from the entertainment industry, I get hundreds of no's every week. Yeah, hundreds. I've got an email list full of no's, <laughs> and um, and that's fine. You know, the right project has, and I think there's a lot of similarities between the entertainment industry and tradies because right project hasn't come up you're right you know the skill set's not right the mix of uh projects isn't right the mix of people isn't right you know mm. and all you're doing is sifting through the world as you see it to find uh golden matches for you uh gold nugget in the rocks little gold nuggets is all you yeah. want and the no's aren't necessarily no's for you they're just no we're not a mutual match And I like the idea of failing hard and failing early yeah. because you don't want to get six months into a build and go, holy crap, not into this at all.
0: Yeah, You want to fail
1: super early and super hard so that you can just move on to the next one. And that's that's really important. And there's no shame in that. It's just going, I'm here for me and I'm not going to be emotionally attached to it. But what I am emotionally attached to is my own mental health and my own success.
0: I love what you said about um, systemizing your approach towards getting clients as well. And then also that you're not a a mutual match. And I'd like to add just a a couple of words to the end, which is right now as well. Systemizing, it means that you can follow up in six months time and it might be the right time for them. Um,
1: You know, and it's it's also looking
0: at finding, uh, working out how you build your your business. I mean, there might be 50% of
1: your business that comes from, uh you know builders that are doing you know 80 homes a year 100 homes a year or whatever Mm -hmm. and you know that's 50% of your business and then you do the other 50% is uh fun stuff and cool projects that you're really excited and passionate about you know and if you can't find projects that you're really excited about find great people to work with Mm. so then it makes the world uh you know a lot easier and doing that outreach um you know, building lists and being creative. I mean, one of the big things is going through uh, your list of clients or projects that you've done that you've really enjoyed, and finding the commonalities between them, and going where Where do people that like that sort of stuff? Where do they uh, where, where do they live? Mm. What do they like doing? And then reaching out from there and going, okay. How can we how can we make a difference here, and how can I target those people in a positive and loving way?
0: Yeah, yeah. How how can you provide value to what they might already be receiving? How can you improve their life?
1: Yeah, and you know we might find that uh, like for some corporates, for example, uh, that I deal with, they have a strong culture of golf. So, yeah. um, a lot of the people that I like, my my target market may play golf. So then that means that I know where to find them Mm -hmm. and I have a higher chance of reaching those people with um, uh, at golf clubs or at golf events or things like that. Or, you know, they might enjoy uh, the gym or triathlon, or they may enjoy movies or wine or culture or you know, whatever, but you'll find your perfect client uh, will have, you know, a range of, commonalities and a range of things that they're interested in to help you target your marketing to you'll still get a lot of no's but to get some better yeses
0: yeah prefer to have tried and, and be told no than not have tried at all it's one of those things yeah absolutely yeah absolutely so um it's really fascinating when we
1: when we sort of dial down into it and also uh, particularly in both entertainment and trade the uh the rate of people that uh, refer simply because they had a good experience, mm. whatever that looks like, uh, or that you've fixed the problem, be it easy for you or not, uh, is astronomical. You know, They love, t- love telling people, hey, I found a really good trade because most of them are terrible. Or, yeah. you know, <laughs> uh, or I don't think most tradies are terrible, but I think that most tradies are focused on their trade, not on marketing and business. Providing and I, think, and I think that's where the inaccurate view of poor trading comes from.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We're trying to smash that mold, you know, that stereotype by ele- helping elevate the perception of a, a tradespeople everywhere in what we do. But I think, so. that,
1: but I think that's a great thing because that's your point of difference. Every time you walk into a business or every time someone makes, uh, makes a sale or a pitch for something, you got to work out what's your point of difference. Why are you different to the other? uh license sparky or chippy or whatever why what makes you unique Mm. and you know part of that is you know length of time part of that is um the range of projects that you've completed to you know a super high standard part of that could be pricing although i never ever like to compete on price no way um (laughs) so you know, there's a, there's a lot of these things and it's about working out what your unique selling point is and what's unique about your business. And one of the unique things uh, that is in uh, the, the tradie area is uh, using services like yours to bolster and educate uh, tradies in the, uh, the business side and the marketing side and the communication side and that's a massive point of difference. So you're really building some value, but more importantly, your clients are really smart traders. They're going, "Hey, I'm not good at this. How do I upskill?"
0: Yeah, totally. Yes, yeah, it's, it's awesome to see people are willing to put in the work to and be vulnerable enough to say, "I don't know everything," and then to you know learn from others. I think that's a real yeah. honourable thing. But also, it's how you. You know, stand on the shoulders of giants, you know, like learn how to do things that other people have done without the mistakes.
1: Yeah. Why reinvent the wheel? It's already out there. And there's also no show. And I think that's a cultural thing within Australia is to go, oh, if I don't know about it, I'm just going to sort of gloss over it and ignore it Mm -hmm. because I don't want to ask for help or I don't want to learn something new or I don't want to do any of this. Because oh you know it may make me look like less of a tradie or less less skilled or less good or whatever. It's okay to give yourself permission to fail at something. Mm. You know if you're not failing, then you're not outside of your comfort zone and you're not learning enough. And it's okay to not be an expert in everything. And that's the big thing. And when when I look at a uh, a normal a large business or a a, a normal or traditional style business. Not everyone in that business is good at everything. That's why you have a marketing manager in a big business or you have a store manager or you have, you know, a merchandiser or, you know, a voiceover guy or, you know, whatever. That's their specialist area. You know, the other the other interesting thing that's coming up a bit is the um uh is the T uh the T concept about Um, having that depth of knowledge in one area, but also working out and having some of that peripheral knowledge uh, to help you with your core area. And I think that's one of the things that your organisation does really well is um, most tradesmen or tradespeople are really awesome at their core trades. Yeah. And what you're providing is some of that, the, the, um, the, the, the breadth of, to help them be better at their trade and look part of that is also outsourcing as well don't be afraid to outsource you know your accounting or your bookkeeping or whatever the, the bit that you hate or loathe the most because then that also reduces that mental load to help you focus on the bit that you're really good at they talk about why CEOs get paid like 5, 10, 20, 30 million dollars a year and uh, part of that is out of your job, uh, most of what you do can be outsourced to someone else. So, if you can increase the amount of what you do that is uniquely you within your day, that enables you to increase your income. So, by outsourcing a lot of that other stuff, by systemizing a heap of stuff, that enables you to have that autonomy, to have that ability to focus on the bit that is uniquely you.
0: Man, we, um, just on that, we just finished a cultural upgrade within the academy and, uh, we had someone come in internally and we went through and we did a program. Well, it's a a test, a profile test called wealth dynamics, and it actually works out what profile you are. And then like you were saying, the two other secondary profiles you fit in, um, but then also when you notice and actually analyze the, I don't know, I think there's 10 different personality types and the opposite of the square is actually the opposite personality and someone else thrives in that and lives in that and loves it and gets a lot of joy and flow from that. Um, but if you're working in the wrong zone, then it drains you, you run out of energy, you know, it, it causes problems and stress. And when I realized that for the first time, um, that I had actually, I I sit in like the star personality with in this particular program, uh, with a creator and a connector secondary personality. And I realized that for me personally, I like to connect with people, ask them what their problems are, then create solutions, and then broadcast as a star, which is broadcast solutions to everyone to help everyone upgrade. Um, and that's where I love and thrive in. But what I was tending to do was talking to people, creating a solution and then going to a Lord personality, which is like the, the granular task driven, uh,
1: rolling it out.
0: Yeah. Rolling it out. And that was draining me. And I was doing that for weeks sometimes, like just trying to build the solution, but, uh, you know, it was huge realization, you know, and, um, yeah, you know, what
1: in that, in that. In that in that sense, we're very similar. So, uh, the actual nuts and bolts of the uh, consistency of rolling stuff out over a long period of time, uh, I find that very draining and really challenging. But mm. I've met so many amazing people that go, I live for this, yeah, yeah, and I love it, yeah. And you know, the other thing is when you look at your business. And you go, we're talking about personality types. There are some personality types that are just born to do some role. And yeah. they just love it. And just because they're so good at that role, uh, that doesn't mean that you're going to be best mates with them. You don't have to be best mates with everyone in your organisation, but you always have to be courteous, polite, and uh, kind. Yeah. So, just because you don't get along with a personality type personally doesn't mean that you can't work with them to give them the thing that they love and for them to give you the thing that you love. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yep. And that's really cool. A lot of times i see uh in businesses, particularly in the building industry, we just employ people that we want to be mates with rather than having a strategic approach to it going, hey, I, I want to be nice to everyone. I want to get along with everyone, but I want to make sure that I've got the right mix of personalities for the right jobs that each individual person is doing. Yeah. so That when everything comes together, we've got a complete team that rocks.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I remember doing the exact profile. I got invited to a seminar and we did the profiling probably 10 years ago when I was fairly new to business and I was like, Oh, this is interesting, but it didn't mean anything at the time and I didn't apply it. And I didn't understand it. And then we redid it again. And so we have over 50 people in our business in now. Um, and it totally makes sense now. Like when you've got a team, other people can do the jobs that you don't find flow in so much better than you with more energy and enthusiasm. And then the stuff that they don't like to do, like you said, you can thrive in as well. So uh, I think one of the most interesting things was when we redid this test in my electrical company, Response Electricians, back in Perth. I hired an ops manager, Kirk, who's now a coach at the Academy, but Kirk came in and we always knew we just worked so well together. Cause I would create solutions to the problems and he would go and get it done. And I never knew why we worked so well together until we both did this test. And I'm like, man, and they said, this is the perfect person to you because they're the person that complements the things you don't find flow in. Um, and yeah. I was like, holy moly, like this has come together. <laughs> um, and we know now that that's that
1: aren't ops managers and ops directors a unique, uh, a unique human yeah. and absolutely dead set essential Yeah, to uh, unlimited business growth. Cause we, we can sit in rooms and we can make up solutions until the cows come home. But if they're not rolled out, it doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> you know? And having, having those systems is really important. And yep. you know, in the, I find that harder in the early days when you've got a smaller business, but thanks to technology, there's a lot of things that you can do to, um, to sort of uh, automate a lot of those processes until you get to a stage where you can employ a human to, you know, to manage that or to, you know, grow to that next stage.
0: Yeah. I I have a fallback um, system we follow is, how do I not do this? The question is the question. Firstly, can we automate it? If we can automate it, great. We do that. We build that or we get a, you know, it person programmer to go and do that automation. If not, who can do it? Um, and then we, we teach a thing at the academy called micro jobbing. Whereas traditionally you'll go and hire hire like an administration person that does 50 different job types, Mm. uh, micro jobbings going to Upwork and just hiring for one thing reconciling bank account only, you know, and, and you hire that person yeah. and they do an hour a week, you know, and that's what you pay them for. Technology is amazing for being able to micro job all the things that you don't want to do out to an expert at that one thing. Uh, and com- combined, you build a big team doing it, little jobs, you know what I mean? Yeah,
1: micro jobbing is really cool from the point of view that if you don't have enough work for a full time person, Or you haven't found the right person to do that job to fit into your growing team. Micro jobbing is really great, and if the person that's doing your bank wreck goes, no, I'm not doing not doing this anymore, your whole business isn't going to crumble. Yeah, you know. So there's that whole risk management strategy. Then all you have to do is go out and find someone who's who does bank wreck, as opposed to someone who does all the other stuff as well. So I think from a uh, a maintenance point of view, there's a bit more admin in doing the micro jobbing, but it also is a wonderful risk mitigation technique to, you know, make it a bit easier for you because you're only plugging one or two little parts of your business rather than everything else.
0: Yeah. We've found through micro jobbing. though, you find talent because you're hiring 10 people and then you choose the best one out of the talent and you go, we're going to give you more jobs and we can scale up their role. And then we can drop off some of the ones that aren't performing. It's been awesome to like build someone into a full-time role versus hiring someone that's the wrong person. And then taking three months to realize, no, this isn't working. Sorry. Then a really awkward mm. conversation and then having to yep. let them go and then moving on to someone new and having to retrain again. So that's, it's been. A yeah. Good- it's, it's funny. There's um, I, I like the fact that we
1: have a lot of, uh, employment laws to make sure that we have great, work great and safe working conditions, fair rates of pay, and all of that. But the other side of it is, it makes it really hard for small business because a lot of those laws are built for big business um, to stop them from, you know, raping and pillaging employees. Yeah. But uh, small business, it's a really costly exercise to employ someone, and it takes a lot of energy, a lot of time, and uh, most importantly, a lot of money to make that happen. So uh, working with freelancers or other small businesses or uh, using your you know, micro gigs is, uh, a, I think, a really great intermediate step uh, or even, as you said, a, a great final step to make it a lot easier to grow your business. And I suppose it also comes down to um, what are your goals in your business? Mm. What do you want to achieve? What's, what's it look like? I think a lot of people when they get into business get caught up in the day to day without going, Oh, where, where's this ship going? I've got the ship, you know, I'm running it, the deck's clean and it's really great. And I've got a crew on board and that's awesome. But I, I really don't know where it's going.
0: Yeah. So uh, it makes it hard to plan if you don't know where you're going. Oh yeah. Imagine going out in the boat without just sailing into nowhere and <laughs> you could go on. Totally. Circles. Yeah. Totally.
1: Uh, you want to catch a few nice fish and it might be a bit of fun, but compared to someone with uh, direction or a plan, even a loose plan is okay. Yeah. Um, I think it's, uh, I think it's, uh, you know, the results are vastly different.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Hey, I'd love to bounce back into find a little bit more about you. So yeah, totally. I'd love to hear about like your upbringing, you've talked about autism, how that is a been a big part of your life and how you've, you've managed that through your life and how you got into the career that you've chosen and, and become successful in. I'd love to hear the whole so, story.
1: Yeah, so I, I grew up in a small country town called Daybrook, which is about maybe an hour out of Brisbane. And they were at the time known for their pineapples and cows. Um, and look, uh, it was a uh, country upbringing. Uh, and I think at the time, uh, it, like, it was a great place to grow up. And I've got a lot of really great memories from there as well. Uh, but I think that uh, with the autism stuff, uh, it didn't have a name and we didn't know what it was. I just knew mm-hmm. I was different and my brain operated differently. Yeah. So I spent probably the first uh, 15 years of my life, trying to, 15, 20 years of my life, maybe, uh, try to work out. How to reinvent the wheel and going? Okay, well, how can I find solutions and roll it out uh, to interact with the world around me and find out what I want to do and how I want to do it? So, one of the things with autism is, um, when you've met one autistic person, you've met one autistic person. Everyone's different. Mm. It's a spectrum. So, um, the great thing about growing up in the country is everyone's just gone off. Oh, I don't know. I don't know what the go is with them, but you know. He's all right. He's just a bit different. Yeah. Uh, which is which is really lovely. Um, but then as I got older, I've worked out uh, I've actually got a unique skill set. And uh, if I work and understand my brain, then I have a better shot at providing value to the world and being a meaningful part of it. Uh, and also providing value for me as well. Mm. And uh, I think... One of the, like we touched on earlier, it's really important to work out to know who you are, so that you can uh, interact in the world in a better way. Now, I, uh, since my brain's wired differently, I have no choice but to go on that. I think a lot of neurologically typical people uh, tend to bumble along because most things are designed for them. Yeah. And uh, they don't really always desperately need to understand themselves as much as I think people probably could benefit from Good, Yeah. So, you know, growing up, uh, communication was a challenge for me. So I knew that if I hyper-focused on something, I could be good at it. It doesn't matter what it is. Uh, If I was interested enough in it, I could learn really quickly and I could upskill in those areas. So I made communication my special area of interest. Uh, which enabled me to, you know, interact with the world, and then I didn't know when to stop.
0: Yeah. So, right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so that led me into, uh, you know, the entertainment industry, and doing voiceovers and, uh, you know, keynote presentations and presenting, yeah, radio and TV and all sorts of stuff like that.
0: Yeah. How did um, what was it like, like as a kid? What memories have you got of you trying to communicate? but not able to effectively. Have you got any of that st- stuck with you? Yeah, totally. Um, so, And some of this still happens now. So it takes a lot of energy to um,
1: uh, to communicate with the outside world now. So the yep. studies say that an autistic person uses three to four times the amount of energy that a neurologically typical person does in the same day. So a lot of the tasks that you would normally have and normally do intuitively, are done consciously by the autistic person. As a, as a crude example, yes. so let's say you go, "All right, I'm I'm just going to have a shower and brush my teeth." Uh, okay, cool. That's that's a an automatic process for most people, but for an autistic person, it is okay. Well, I'm going to stand up, and walk upstairs. I'm going to find uh, my okay. Where's my where's my toothbrush? Okay, now I need toothpaste. I'm going to put the toothpaste on there, and then I'm going to brush my teeth and It's all a very conscious thing. Even things like reading faces. So you'll know intuitively if someone's happy or sad or upset or uh, any of the nuances in between that. Whereas a lot of autistic people have to go, okay, well, I remember what that face looks like from the emotional cue cards that I've been learning. So I think based on one, two, three, four, five points that this person is sad. Wow. So a lot of that's where a lot of that extra energy comes mm. from um so it happens uh i still have problems with it particularly when i'm tired uh i get certainly get cranky uh and it's harder for me to uh, interact with the world and understand what's happening so there's a lot of things like um little miscommunication not reading um tone correctly also not having the correct tone when i speak um simply because that's a very conscious thing for most autistic people um also having a facial expression that doesn't match the meaning of what i'm saying yeah or misreading someone else's facial expression so there's a lot of those seemingly little things that can make a big difference in communication and also not having the awareness Fast enough of what's happening means that you can dig some pretty deep holes oh, before you've worked out what's going on. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So all all of that combined. So uh, there's a lot of problems there with, uh, um, you know, friendships, uh, close relationships, uh, and also with uh, certain personality types in business. Sometimes people get offended really, really easily, or they don't understand. What's happening, or there are personality type that just doesn't gel. So I tend to find those people um, faster than most neurological, uh, neurologically typical people, simply because um, they will find me. Um, uh, I think. I think the other thing is autistic people, or, or I present, uh, can present sometimes as arrogant when really. Uh, my intent is not to be arrogant, but to be efficient or clear. Yeah. And uh, some people respond badly to that. And then some people get it and they go, okay, well, that's just, you know, how he is and that's he's not meaning to be like that. That's just yeah. him being project focused and work focused because he cares about the outcome, you know, yeah. so, you know it's 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 a challenging thing, and it's still a challenging thing for me. I'm just really fortunate that I've got a wonderful group of people uh, around me that I regularly work with. yeah, and you know some people I regularly hang out with as well. And yeah. it's wonderful. you know i'm always I'm always open to more people uh, because I think one of the advantages, uh, sorry, one of the disadvantages of being uh, on the spectrum is sometimes our networks, aren't as deep or solid as neurologically typical people Mm -hmm. because there's so much extra effort for each individual person that we have in our world. And also the recovery, and I think this is also a big thing that I learned or I learn as I'm getting older, is the uh, recovery from errors. So let's say we had a miscommunication how the uh, the skills required to recover from that uh, can sometimes be quite challenging and quite difficult, and are another minefield again. As opposed to, yeah, uh, you know, th- you know, there's a lot of people that go uh, that if I said, oh look, I'm really sorry, I I misunderstood what you said, or um, I didn't interpret it that way, and that's that's my mistake. There's a percentage of people that will go hey thanks thanks for letting me know um understand it was a miscommunication let's work together to clear it up yeah and then there is also a percentage of people to go i was really clear how could you possibly misinterpret that are yeah. you stupid mm. and i go well no it's called autism oh okay cool so you're disabled now oh yeah yeah but you but you Communicate and talk so well. How could you be disabled? And I go, well, I mask really well. Yeah, sure. Now you're just trying to. You know, now you're trying to manipulate and play me. Yeah, right. You know. So there's a whole range of experiences there um, that are unintended consequences of um, uh, missing some of the nuances of detailed communication.
0: Yeah, I th- I think this is a really great opportunity for firstly anyone that's listening, it's not autistic to understand an autistic person, and maybe they have a client that's autistic or a friend, or uh, I'm sure if they've got a friend, they've worked with them, and they understand it. But it's a client or someone they're meeting, or they've gone into a sales meeting and, and that so it's a great opportunity for us to understand autistic people for that reason. But also for anyone that's listening, that is autistic to potentially hear some strategies on how you learnt to um better manage it and to be able to integrate into society as a result yeah so a couple of questions that came up for me because i'm i don't personally know anyone except for yourself as of today (laughs) who is autistic um so can you a couple of questions that came up while you're speaking was firstly with the communication piece is that an empathy thing is that like being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes and understand that's what they mean really be
1: great. That's a really great question. So um, we've thought for a long time, or there was uh, uh, you, know, accepted wisdom, which is not always wonderful, um, thought that autistic people didn't have the ability to show empathy, and that was the big part of it, and they went, "Oh, that's why people don't like you know, some of the uh, that's why the personalities are a little bit more abrasive. Yeah, is because they're they have an, an inability to show empathy or understand empathy so what we found out recently is um there is an overwhelming amount uh, and again i'm speaking generally every autistic person is different but generally yeah. speaking um autistic people have a wealth of empathy and a wealth of love and a wealth of understanding the problem is We don't always know when to deploy it because we can't read other people. So, for example, on the inside, I might be going, oh, yeah, I've got a really great solution to your problem. And let me tell you, blah, there it is. And you can be really angry and upset because I didn't do it with any tact because I was really keen just to fix your problem to make the problem go away. And you're angry at me. And I've got an an overload of empathy here, going, "Oh, you're angry. I didn't want to make you angry. How did I make you angry? I don't understand."
0: Oh, yeah. yeah, sure. Um,
1: yeah. And I think, uh, going back to uh, a pre- a previous point about working with clients with autism and things like that, I think it uh, as a as a tradesperson or as a business owner, it's really challenging because some people are dicks. No matter what you do, not autistic. They're just dicks. Yeah. Uh, some people are unintentional dicks, and they they might be autistic, or they might have a sensory processing disorder, or they might be you know severely depressed or anxious. Uh, and then there are also some autistic people that are also dicks. Yeah. So- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it, it's really, really hard to identify who's who. Yep, but sure. the one commonality between all of them is try not to get your ego involved. Try to always be kind and uh, and uh, not reactively emotive. Mm, good point. And, that, and that's going to serve you really well with clients that are just dicks and you don't want to deal with them. And I think how you deal with clients that are challenging to you has more to do with you than it does about them so if i'm whether i'm autistic a dick depressed or super over the top happy or whatever if you know as a business owner whether i'm a match or not you can politely say Hey, I don't think you're a match for our business, but hey, here's some recommendations for you that I think would suit you really well. Yep. So you can be polite, you can be kind because it's a short interaction and you've got a you've got an outcome. Hey, I know someone that I think would get along with you really well and would be able to help you. Yep. You know, even if so, it's yeah, uh, that's a good point. Totally. So I so identifying whether which one of those nuanced, um, you know, things is happening becomes less important because you've got a strategy. Because if you're not set up to deal with uh, someone that is uh, on the spectrum or has different needs or is a high maintenance client or is a low maintenance client, you know, if you're not set up for that, that's going to be a huge mental load for you and your business. You don't want that. Mm-hmm. So that's where your referral network comes in going, hey, I know someone that is uh just the best sparky in the world and he's got, you know, lots of time and patience and he's just a really great bloke. I think he'd be a really good match for you. Yep. You know, or um I've got a hard nosed mate that's a tradie, you're a bit of a pain in the backside and I reckon he'll be able to uh deal with your personality can, type really he well. <laughs> he can handle yeah. it. Yeah. He can handle it. Yeah. So, you know, that Uh, I think that's a really great way for uh, your viewers and listeners to sort of easily understand. And it comes back to those systems and that really great training that they get from you to um, look out for them, but also to be kind and look out for others.
0: Yeah. I think you touched on a really important point, which I personally work on constantly and fall in and out of, which is understanding that the way someone reacts to you is there is, is, is because of their situation, you know, it's Mm. because of maybe they've had a bad day. Maybe they've got some things happening at home. Maybe they've got autism. Maybe they've got, uh, just been told they've got cancer. You know, there's so many things that they could be getting angry at or upset with, which isn't necessarily your fault. It's just what you said or or the way you behaved or whatever has made them feel a certain way, um, as a result. And I'm constantly working on this. And, um, I think it's really important that people understand, you know, I think I say it quite a lot within our academy and sometimes on podcasts, but it's the, the situation that's just happened right in front of you. And it's everyone's got different upbringings and, uh, experiences in life, which makes them react to the situation in a different way. So um, yeah. understanding that helps take it off because a lot of people feel, oh, they got angry at me. It's my fault. They think I'm a bad or person. What did I do to make yeah. them angry? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I think the, and that that whole interaction and that whole concept gets a lot easier when you go, how can I be the strongest, kindest Person I can be, mm. and things start to get messy when other people's issues interact with your own issues and insecurities and egos. Mm-hmm. So um, I I talk a lot about conscious kindness uh, because I think in society we see kindness as being weak or giving stuff away when conscious kindness is going okay. Well, I could be a dick, or I could get angry. Or I could show evolved, educated kindness now Mm. in this situation. And look, I talk about kindness a lot and conscious kindness, and I think about it even more. Um, And, you know, sometimes I'm really good at it. Sometimes I'm terribly unkind. Sometimes it just doesn't work. Mm. Um, And I'm not about preaching perfection, but I think it's a journey for everyone. And if we wake up every day and go, okay, how can I be better than yesterday? How can I learn from my mistakes? How can I go within and understand, you know, why did I get angry at that? Why did I get upset at that? Or why did I choose to be unkind? And that's a big concept as well, to acknowledge to yourself that it wasn't someone else's fault. I chose to be unkind. Why did I choose that? Yeah. You know, I chose to be kind. and. and, why did I choose that? Okay, I chose that because I'd set up my life because I had uh, a greater capacity to help others. I have, you know, a greater awareness of the situation because I've learned from those last mistakes, which means I've evolved and grown, pat myself on the back, you know. So it's important to acknowledge both the good and bad things and just have a, a, a quick recount and go, how can I be better?
0: Yes, was... Like, was that something that you had to really learn? Um, yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. So the um, socially, uh, socially accepted weak
1: kindness mm. um, was, uh, I think, was something that I originally understood, but I misunderstood. I misunderstood that because um, the concept of going, well, kindness is giving you whatever you want. No, no. not kindness kindness is trying to work out uh how i can uh politely meet your needs and my needs and if i can't communicating that clearly and politely and effectively so that uh everyone can make educated decisions so i think it's kindness is a different level of communication and it's also really hard to get rid of uh ego or to put ego aside because so much of our world Is built on uh, a facade that others see or the idea of ourselves as opposed to the reality of ourselves. And we spend so much energy trying to hold up the public image of ourselves as opposed to the reality. And over time, if we can make those two things get closer and closer together, I think that's better for all of us. Yeah. You know, I think that, you know, and particularly being men we see so much toxic masculinity out there in varying degrees and toxic masculinity isn't just bad for women it's bad for everyone you know we want to be um uh kind leaders within our our world and we want to lead by example and we also want to grow and be the best that we can be so that we can understand as many people and as many different points of view as possible and so that we can um you know help and be as meaningful as we can in the lives of others. Mm. And I think part of that is a big step uh is to dismantle some of that toxic masculinity and some of that ego based stuff so that we can be more real. And I think when we start getting rid of those fake layers, we start to have more energy. And more mental space to connect with others and to do things that we actually love as opposed to things we think others would love about it.
0: Yeah, I love what you just said. can you Can you give someone that might be wondering what is toxic masculinity uh, with an example so that people can visualize what this is and how that applies or potentially applies to their own life?
1: Yeah, totally. Um, I see uh, and again, this is my interpretation of toxic masculinity. So uh, I see toxic masculinity as a focus on the external and the focus on, you know, don't hurt my pride, don't embarrass me, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm I'm tough and, you know, what I say goes and it's all power-based. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: you know, when we see a lot of people that embody the toxic masculine a toxically masculine lifestyle to focus on the on the exterior so how do i make myself feel good i'm going to buy a big car or i'm going to have the flashiest house or i'm going to go on the you know it's all about uh external things to distract me from the inside which i am desperately desperately trying to hide and ignore even Mm -hmm. though everyone around me can see through it immediately yeah and then what happens is when you get into that mode, you will attract uh, other people that support that way of thinking, which is why you'll find that you'll have uh, a lot of other friends that have you know big cars. And then you end up with the uh, like the, the, the tertiary issues of, well, my friend's got a bigger car than me, so now I've got to buy a bigger car to maintain. My ego, so that I'm, you know, equally as toxic as he is. Yeah. And, oh, they went on and said it's the whole keeping up with the Joneses thing because you're desperately running away from what's happening inside. A car doesn't define who you are. You know, your job doesn't define who you are. You know, you define who you are through your understanding and interpretation of you and the growth of you. And, if you had trauma, and a lot of us have, uh, a lot of decisions that we make, particularly around toxic masculinity and a lot of other things like that, um, are trauma-based decisions. It's okay to work through them. You know, you don't have to hide or suppress anything like that. There are plenty of services that are available to help work through that, and part of it or the first step of uh dismantling toxic masculinity is to understand that there is something within you that you are hiding or running from or not happy about or something about your lifestyle is unsustainable yep yeah and it's okay to ask it's okay to ask for help that's totally cool and it's okay to not even ask for help but just go and get help
0: yeah yeah totally you know i think that's a, definitely in australia we've got a thing where people don't want to be seen like i think you said earlier in this session but needing help in any form yeah um and the old age saying oh you need to go to psychologist or mental institution like you're crazy you've got a problem like it's yep. a problem like everyone has problems no. there's people that get help and there's people that don't
1: yeah, and I think if you don't deal with your trauma, everybody else around you will have to.
0: Mm, good point.
1: You know, and saying uh, we have this thing in Australia, which I find really weird, that you only go to a psychologist when you're broken. You know, the the whole science of psychology is so much more than just making broken people functional. You know, I see a psychiatrist uh, and a psychologist uh regularly because for me it's not about oh i'm broken i need to be functional that's like uh deciding to only change your car tires when it's you know when it's flat oh, and the oh, rubber's yeah. gone yeah, yeah yeah it's not gonna work yeah. yeah so i see it as uh like performance enhancing i agree so how can i how can i learn some tips and tools to be the best version of me that i can be Before, it's a crisis point. You know, how can I get that independent, external person to uh, safely and securely talk through things that I'm maybe uncomfortable with or Mm -hmm. not sure about? Yeah. You know, that's going to provide me with some information and a sense check on what's healthy, what isn't, and, you know, help me grow in a safe environment. That's a good thing yeah you know we also find um by opening up the conversation about mental health and dismantling toxic masculinity um that does a lot to decrease the suicide rate you know and i think that that's also a real thing so if we uh in many many cases not all but many cases if there was that openness about hey, this, my lifestyle's not working for me or I'm self-aware enough to go, hey, I'm not, I'm actually running from something or I'm trying to overcompensate for something, then, uh, you know, I think the world uh, would be a happier and better place and we would see less of those struggles and less, of, less suicides, which I think is a wonderful thing.
0: Yeah. I actually 100% agree with you about the performance enhancing I I see a psychologist for maintenance, like you were saying, like I maintain my, my mental state by going to someone who understands me for one knows my backstory, knows my family situation, knows my friendships knows my relationship. And it's private and it doesn't go out and no one goes and gossips about it. Um, and it's a safe place. Like you said, for me to just go, this is happening right now. And they're like, cool, thanks. And even just saying it sometimes is enough. For you to yep. go and be able to fix it. Um, but it's, you know, setting up that opportunity. I was, I would have to say that I pushed myself to the point where I was broken and then saw a psychologist. And then You've I wish I'd seen it. one sooner. Yeah. So I was, you know, the business just got so big and out of control. And I was so worried about cash flow and different things. And I didn't even speak to my wife about it because I was so in that I've got this covered, I can do this by myself, mind frame. And therefore my passion and my drive to help others is so, you know, so massive right now because of that, because Mm. I was in that, I was brought up in Australia with that same mindset and didn't want to reach out and ask for help. help. Yeah. And when I did actually, some of the people I did reach out to didn't understand the trade space. So, mm. and there was nothing in the trade space w- which fit. Um, so to be able to create what we have for tradies and people in a trade business has been my life's work now because of that, because it, I was broken. <laughs>
1: yeah. Was, yeah. Look, I think it's also a really important concept. So, and we see this, Obviously, with the, uh, the pandemic and the health advice as well, um, that it's important to understand the difference between uh, a, a friend that you talk to and an expert. So, if I'm talking to a friend, oh, I had a bad day, blah, blah, blah. Okay, cool. Come on, let's get some ice cream or let's go to the beer or whatever. Yeah. And you just chat, and the world's, you know, that's just talking. And that's cool. Um, and then we see experts like uh, psychologists, psychiatrists, you know, and people that actually do this for a living uh, and have that training and education there. Uh, those, those people, as we talked about earlier in business, those specialists in those areas, um, they're so much more valuable they know more than us about that special uh their specialist area Mm. so there's some really really great advice to come from that to help people you know get through misinformation or to get through challenges or to ask for help or to you know grow as a human or even just self-assess you know so understand that uh if you're in a, a tough spot Talking to a mate is good, um, but talking to
0: a specialist is
1: even better.
0: Yep. Yeah, and if you're feeling confused about your behavior, you know, outburst, doing stuff that you don't, you know is not right within yourself or in character, then that's when we need to go and see someone. It's Don't wait till you're broken because it's coming, especially yep. if you're in a growing business. With uh, other yeah. people pushing you, like clients pushing you, staff pushing you, you know, relationships at home because you're home late when you've got young kids pushing you. You know, all of that plays together and builds and builds and builds and it will come to a breaking point if you don't take some action um, and you won't regret yep. it. Yeah, totally.
1: Oh, and, and the thing is most people aren't happy how they're living their life when they're like that.
0: No. Yeah. So-
1: be selfish, not so much selfish, but do it, do it for you and do it for the people that you care about and do it for your business. To so, uh, take that time out to work on you, to be the best you that you can be because you'll love it and so will everyone else.
0: Well, once you, once you heal yourself, you radiate that love, happiness and joy to everyone else, you know? But if, you, totally. if you're hating yourself, you're bringing everyone else down. It's just how it is. Yeah.
1: And, and the other thing is mental health uh, or my experience with mental health is it's not like, oh, great, it's fixed now. Don't have to worry about it. No, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. It's not marketing or paying tax or bookkeeping or anything. You know, It's a regular investment Yeah, and it's a regular thing you've got to do. And sometimes you'll fall off the bandwagon and or a life event will happen or something will happen. But that's where you
0: go, hey, I've done this before. I know what I need to do.
1: Now it's just about doing it.
0: Oh, man. So good. Uh, hey, um, before we wrap up, I'd just love to hear some tips for anyone that might be listening that is autistic or um, who has friends or family that's autistic that might be learning something from you around yep. the strategies you've implemented to overcome uh, some of the challenges you've experienced in your life. If you could share yeah. some of those so, for us, that'd be amazing. So
1: the great thing is a lot of the strategies that are essential for autistic people working out in the world also work for everybody else as well awesome. um, and part of it is understanding your own brain take the time energy and effort to understand your own brain understand uh self-soothing that is massive so self-soothing things that make me feel good that interrupt the negative neural pathways that happen when we do negative self-talk or you have a bad day or something like that we want to train our brain to feel good when we do certain activities. So it might be reading, it could be, you know, aromatherapy or incense, it could be massage, going for a run, it could be having sex consensually, it could be, you know, any number of things yep. that make you feel good or that you enjoy doing. So pick a healthy thing and it's okay to try a few things and go, no, nah, that doesn't work for me, or yeah, this does. Or, that used to work for me and this doesn't now it's an evolving list you know yeah. it may even be craft like you might like cross stitch or knitting or painting or drawing or writing anything uh it's just a something that you can focus on that is healthy for you that makes you feel good and uh you know meditation is a wonderful tool as well but that's a skill that uh, like a lot of the other things it's a skill that you to learn definitely worthwhile learning um for me Uh, And, you know, a lot of autistic people, it's understanding the difference between uh, on time and off time. So if I go out into the world and that's what I would call on time because I'm dealing with people with high energy and then I have to balance that with some uh, regenerative off time so that I don't burn out Mm. and checking in quite regularly to go, hey, how am I feeling? Do I need more downtime? And it's okay to go, I need more downtime. I've got a lot to process. I need more downtime. Don't feel guilty. Rest is not a reward. It's essential. And if you can plan your world and be aware of the rest time that you need, then it's going to be better. As far as dealing with uh, autistic people or um, generally people, it's okay to give them space and time so sometimes uh getting to the meaning of something uh they're trying to say may take a little bit of time uh it may come out a bit muddled it may also be hyper articulate and way way too blunt give them the space energy and time and see through uh try and see what they're really saying as opposed to uh how you think they're trying to attack you you know, a lot of people don't mean to attack you. Um, and look, there's some people that do. But either way, try to have a balanced, measured response and always try and be kind. I know it's really hard, but if we can all try to be as patient as and as kind as we can, then I think it's going to be uh, a better world for everyone. And after you are super kind to someone that is uh, that you feel is unkind, pat yourself on the back. And yeah. Say, hey. That's a really awesome thing. And I've made that person's day better and I've made my own day better and I've done something good in the world. So be proud of it.
0: Yeah. Love that so much. And like you said, you don't know, like it could just be that I don't know. someone's just having a bad day. So just doing it all the time, they like practicing that skill you just spoke about is what we want to do as human being, good human beings, you know? So totally love it. Hey Ben. Awesome spending time with you. This has been an awesome yeah. chat. I really appreciate you yeah. coming on, man. Oh, I've really enjoyed it too. And uh, I'm just really thankful
1: that uh, you're going out into the world, set up a great business, and you've got that whole ripple effect going on, uh, helping tradies, helping people to be the best version of themselves and to be the best, kindest, independent version of themselves. Uh, you're really changing lives.
0: So I'm really, really impressed with the work that you're doing. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it, Ben. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Thanks, buddy. So if you're loving the podcast, please share with your friends, anyone that's thinking about starting a tradie business or got a large tradie business. We help everyone from startup all the way up to million dollar plus months. We'd love to help you too. And lastly, it would mean a lot if you could leave a review on the player that you're listening to this on. It helps us get it out there and help more tradies in business perform better and create better lives for themselves. So let's get into this episode, hope you enjoy it, talk to you soon.